Uh, as I said this morning, we're going to be having our annual meeting in just a little while, but I wanted to share a little bit uh, from from First and Second Thessalonians, finishing off this series properly instead of starting something new today, just looking at the person of Christ in the book of First and Second Thessalonians. We did this series from the beginning of May until today, and we're going to be done with Thessalonians. But I wanted to focus on the good news of what Christ has brought us as told in this overview of this book of Thessalonians. So today we're going to be looking at Jesus. And uh, I love the comfort of Jesus in that he is the image of the invisible God, the Bible says. And so when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God as if he were constrained to human form. In other words, when you look at Jesus, you see a God you can fully, mostly fully understand who uh, who is sympathetic with our needs and has been through everything we've been through and lived a perfect humanity, a perfect life before God the Father. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at the face of God. Jesus Christ and God are one, and along with the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, three in one. So I just love to, I don't know, for, for lack of a better word, brag on Jesus and what he's done, especially in this book, and think about who Jesus is and how the, what difference this makes in each of our lives. So this morning, we're going we're to take a look at this overview of Jesus and tracing the story of Jesus through First and Second Thessalonians. So the first, the first slide, the first generality that you pull from this book right in the beginning is Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He is Lord and Christ. These two terms are very significant. We hear them as Christianese, things we hear and don't really think about again. But this word Lord is kyrios in, Cre in Greek, and it means he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding, master and lord. The possessor, the owner, in the sovereign place of the prince, the chief, the emperor, the title of honor, of, of respect and reverence. And this title is given to only one who's ever lived, truly, to Jesus Christ. He is, he is the Lord. And it says in three different places in the New Testament across several different authors of the New Testament letter that God has put everything underneath Jesus' feet. If you put your faith, in other words, in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, and you abide in Jesus, you have no need to be concerned for your security in life, in the present, or in the future. Because God has placed everything underneath Jesus' feet. Everything. I think that's such good news. I think it's such new, good news that we are given the image of the invisible God in Christ, and God has placed everything under his feet. He doesn't need to ask anyone permission to take full authority in our lives. There's a lot uh, in the Bible that can be hard to understand at times. And I really appreciate it. When we went through the Bible of John Soper, he was very honest when there was a passage that was difficult for him that he didn't quite understand or he, was, he had a difficult time with. And sometimes even Jesus evades our, evades our understanding. But in Jesus, we're given this hope, this flicker, that we can know God. We can know him really intimately in some intimate ways. Uh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We cannot fully understand God, of course, because... It says in the Bible that no one can see him directly and survive the encounter, not because he doesn't love us, not because we disgust him, but because he is holy, holy, pure light. There is no darkness in God at all. Uh, and we, we looked at the day of the Lord when Jesus comes back, and the judgment 
for, for some and the salvation for others is simply the, the side effect of Jesus coming in his glory, fully God revealed. Moses was the, what, this holy, humble, meek man. He went up on the mountain with the Lord and his face was glowing from being in God's presence. He, he veiled his face uh, so he wouldn't terrify the people who saw his human face who had been hit with the radiation of God's presence. How else do you say it? Uh, no one can see God and live. Moses asked to see God, and God put him in the crevice of a rock, and he went by him, and Moses took a peek out and saw, whatever this means, the backside of God passing into the distance is all he could handle. And it's actually hard to believe he could handle that. It's only by God's mercy, right? Um, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I, I love in 1 John, we, we read in our small group this week, uh, some of the discussion questions. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, um, his love is made complete in us, and we can actually experience God if we love each other with the love of God in Christ. And we can see God in that love and community, right? So I think that's such good news. He's the Lord. He is God. Everything's under his feet. When Jesus says, uh, go and sin no more, your sins are forgiven, be at peace, whatever Jesus says in the New Testament that we receive for ourselves, it's authoritative, and it's happening. You're saved. You're touched by Jesus. I think that's such a great news. So I love that. So again, we pass by these words so quickly. So he's both Lord in 1 Thessalonians 1.1 and Christ. Christ is Christos in Greek, and it means Messiah. He is the one. The whole Old Testament from Genesis to the end was pointing to, and all the prophets pointing to Jesus, the one who would come, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Uh, the, Jesus has been given the authority to save people, and he is the one to whom all of the Old Testament scriptures and prophets pointed to. And in his life, his death, his resurrection, you know, we and anyone who looks to him are saved and can know God. He is both Lord and Christ. And when you talk to Jewish folks, uh, when, when Jesus talked to Jewish folks and talked about him being the Messiah, you know, one of the reasons he ended up being crucified was because it was called blasphemy, that he would say that he was the Messiah because uh, a mere man such as himself saying that is quite a claim. And one of the reasons he was, he was uh, put to death, uh, certainly. Of course, we know God had other reasons. <sighs> the mystery of God's power and control over things, right? People have their reasons for crucifying Christ. God had his reasons. His reasons were salvation for everyone. So Jesus, the, the anointed Messiah of God, the Lord of all, to whom everything belongs. This is talked about in 1 Thessalonians and many other places, but look at this and glory in it. And whenever you feel, if ever you feel that there is a gap between uh, you and your relationship with God and you're having a hard time touching God, read the book of Luke and just put yourself in these stories of, God, of Jesus with people. Put yourself in those stories and meet, meet the God, the true God of the Bible. I love the parable, of, of course, the, the prodigal son, the prodigal father, the extravagant love of the father. And what it says in that, that parable is that, you know, the son wasted his inheritance from his still living father. He told his father, you're as good as dead to me. Give me my half of the money. He went and squandered it on wild living. He crashed and burned hard, party life. And uh, his, what does it say about the father? It says he was sitting on the porch waiting, looking into the distance, waiting for his son to come back. So connect with God through Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. Everything's underneath his feet. It's not second best. It is God 
in human form. It is Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. They're one. Praise God for that. Second, Jesus is the Son of God, killed by God's enemies, people that meant wrong, but raised from the dead and coming from heaven with all of his saints. We pull this from, from the beginning of Thessalonians and, uh, and a couple different verses here in Thessalonians. Now, Jesus is the Son of God, killed by God's enemies, uh, by those people that were doing the will of the, the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, of the Satan, the accuser. Uh, he, was, he was put to death by these people who are following, as we see with Judas, the, 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 uh, the direction of Satan actually entering Judas and others to put him to death. But it didn't end with his death. It's, it's a historical fact that Jesus raised from the dead. And one day, it says in 1 Thessalonians, he will come from the realm of heaven to the realm of earth. And, it's, and I'm going to read to you exactly what it says. In a, in a passage where uh, P- Paul is offering comfort to people who have lost fellow brothers and sisters in Christ due to persecution, and were concerned about those people who had died and wondering what was their fate, Paul says to them, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's a really interesting passage, and a lot of times the theology of what's called the rapture comes from this passage. But this is actually a really interesting, uh, in context, it's a very interesting passage of Scripture. In, in the times when this was written, when an invading army would come and fight, and let's say there was an army in Thessalonica where this letter was written, an invading army comes in, and they, it turned, they defeat that, that, the, the fighters of that city, right? Once that happens, once the defeat is, is announced, and you know, they've, been, they've been squashed, all the inhabitants of the city, the non-combatants, the non-soldiers who were hoping their army was going to win, they actually leave the jurisdiction of their city and they would look to these soldiers who had won the victory and, and, and they would escort them into the city, basically saying, you won, you are now our Lord. And, uh, and we are giving the victory to you. And they would escort the, the, the powers into the city to take over. And in doing this, they would escape destruction and death. They would submit to the new rulers. And really, in First Thessalonians, uh, it says... Well, we, we know that, that Satan is called the ruler of the kingdom of the air, right? Well, this is the way the Bible talks about the spiritual realm, the kingdom of the air in the earth. And it says that Jesus will come and defeat the evil forces, and then the people who have died in Christ and the people who are still living will be caught up together to greet Jesus and escort him into the earthly realm where he will have the victory, and he will be all in all. So it's a very interesting image of, of us escorting God from his victory in the heavenly realms into the realm of the earth, and heaven and earth will be, uh, will, will be made subsumed in the kingdom of God, and everything will be made right. Um, so unlike, unlike that military victory, um, 
you know, the people who have been part of the world system, you and me, people who have died in Christ, we are going to meet Jesus, and we are going to bring, we are going to accompany him down into this realm where he will have the full victory, which is a really, really interesting concept. Uh, because Jesus at this point will have completely defeated the powers of darkness, the powers of Satan, and he will be coming in and taking his rightful full ownership of the earth, and his kingdom will be fully manifest, fully to bear upon the creation. And everything, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, and Jesus, the victorious king, he conquers, not with a physical sword, but with his word, with his powerful word. And the, and the judgment that comes will be spoken through God's word, through Jesus Christ. It's just an amazing concept that he is the Son of God, Jesus. He was killed by God's enemies, but he raised from the dead, and he is coming together along with all the saints. And someday everything in heaven and earth will be added up together, will be summed up in Christ. That's what the scriptures say. The third thing I'm pulling from this, this, these two books about Jesus is Jesus is the deliverer of Christians from the coming wrath of God upon all unrighteousness. It says that every person who's placed their faith in Christ, when Jesus comes to judge the earth and put an end to the rule of Satan and to the kingdoms of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air at the end of Satan, for the people that have put their faith in Christ, there's nothing to fear. Instead, they form this welcoming party, welcoming victorious Jesus, meeting Jesus in the air and escorting him back to earth. And for that reason, as we talked about in our series, Christians do not have to fear the judgment of God, the day of the Lord, because they are found to be in Christ. And even though we, all of us compromise and we sin and we participate in many ways in the kingdom of the world, we are declared righteous by God at his coming through Jesus Christ, who forgives all of our sins in his love and mercy. He coats us all. It says that he, he gives us the righteousness of Jesus. Not only does he forgive us, but he gives us the righteousness of Christ. And I love this phrase that Jason Harmon used in his sermon over the summer. He said, there's a superabundance of God for those who have faith. You know, the, the forget, not only the forgiveness, but the superabundant righteousness of Christ will be on us. And when Jesus comes back, it's going to be good news for those who have chosen to follow and trust in Jesus for their salvation and for their lives. But for those who have chosen to live in unrighteousness and not following in the way of Christ and not being willing to receive his freely offered mercy and grace, it will be a day of judgment. It will be flipped for those people. But the point of our passage today is that Jesus delivers Christians from the wrath of the day of the Lord, and he delivers them into life. And that's good news for anyone that will put their faith in the freely offered gift of Jesus. The fourth thing I pulled from these two books, these two letters, is that Jesus makes paths for Christians, and he can cause Christians to increase and even abound, there's that word superabound, in love and endurance. This is really good news for those of you who are struggling. You know, there's more, there's more, uh, even a superabundance of love and endurance and hope for you than you know in Christ. Jesus offers it freely. Salvation and following Christ is not reserved just for the day of the Lord when God comes back, but Jesus promises to give us direction in our lives, actually give us wisdom, to make a way for us to move about the earth, to cause us to increase in love and endurance, and to allow us to finally live in real and lasting peace. 
And all of these gifts are given to us in the here and now, part and parcel as a people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. That's given to us now. So we can pray, we can ask, and we can expect God to help us day to day, making a way for us, making a path in the wilderness, providing his love for us to give to other people who perhaps we have a hard time loving, and causing that love to abound in us and give us the endurance to continue persevering in our walk of faith. And through this process of, of just transaction of Jesus giving us all this, this uh, provisions for the road of being a Christian, you know, we can actually live in an actual peace in our lives, even in the midst of severely difficult circumstances. Um, and that, that sounds really good to me, and that's the Word of God. I believe that. I believe that for anyone that has eyes to see and who asks, seeks, and knocks, that God will give them a superabundance of what they need every day. I love the old, I'm not sure how this applies exactly, but there's a scripture that says, never have I seen a righteous person forsaking or their children begging for bread. And just, and I, when I take that, that passage, uh, I think about, for those who sincerely seek after God, he gives them what they need to get through, and even a superabundance of what they need. Uh, it doesn't always come the way they think. Sometimes it comes through community. Sometimes it comes through leaning on other people that God's provided. But one way or another, God provides what we need. Direction paths for us, an increase of love, a superabundance of endurance for the road. The fifth thing I see in First and Second Thessalonians, Jesus will ultimately make all things right and will bring justice for everyone, for Christians and other people who are unjustly mistreated on the day of the Lord, carrying out this judgment on the unrighteous who are persecuted Christians. This is a huge concern for these two letters because the church is actually being persecuted for serious in this, in this passage. Their property was being taken away just for following Christ. Workers were, were fired from their jobs uh, who, who were following Christ. Those who found faith were shunned by their families and communities. They were insulted. They were beaten. Some of them were put to death. As we can see in 1 Thessalonians, there was a concern for people who had been put to death because of their faith. They were experiencing suffering of the worst and most heinous kind imaginable. And to these people, there's a strong emphasis that Jesus is going to make this right. That Jesus is going to make this right. No matter how much injustice we see in the world today, Jesus is going to make it right. He's going to make it right. He, catch it, he, he takes note of every tear that falls, every drop of blood that's shed in injustice. And especially for his children, for, for Christians. You know, persecuting Christians is not a good idea for anyone in the world because... We have a Father who cares about us, and he's going to set things right. I think that's good news. And for, for us, you know, we live in a relatively, in relative peace in our, in our country. Praise God that we can worship freely. We don't really, we're not really persecuted in the ways other people are. But around the world, there are Christians that are being put to death for their faith, being shunned by their families, being ostracized, having their property taken away. Exactly what's happening in the, in the, in, to these people in Thessalonians. If you want to know more about that, look at Voice of the Martyrs. You can see around the world the suffering that's happening because of the name of Jesus. Because there is a real adversary and accuser in the world who is really about um, being against the children of God. It's a reality. So uh, knowing that Jesus will make things right and doing what we can to be aware and support those who are suffering is also a big uh, concern of Jesus. I think it's a very, um, it's very good news to know 
that the battle is going to be won ultimately by Jesus. And I said, I've said that before, that in the end, no matter what happens, Jesus wins. He, he's, going to, he's going to make all the injustices in our world right. And until the time when he, he comes and the day of the Lord happens, his kingdom is here and it is advancing on the earth. And all of us are called to be a part of this work in the here and now, even while we wait for Jesus to come and finish the job. It's good news. You know, that, that word for good news is translated from the word gospel uh, in, in the Greek, evangelio. It means a proclamation of military victory. Basically, a surviving soldier in a battle would run from the battle where the battle was being waged back to his community and say, good news, our army uh, won the battle. So the gospel for us is us going around and saying, good news, Jesus on the cross won the battle. It's already been won and decided. It's, it's, it's sure we live in a world of amazing uncertainty, but one thing is certain that the battle will ultimately will be won by Jesus uh, someday. And through the church, through the kingdom of God advancing on the earth, through us and through the work of the Holy Spirit, it advances still until the day when Jesus will make it fully realized. So we can preach the victory of Christ to people around us and share it, invite them to share in the victory that he's already won. Another theme in this book is that Jesus encourages Christians to stand firm in him, to remain faithful to him, and to hold fast in our belief, commitment, and our allegiance to Jesus and to his word. You now, we, we, we had that sermon where I just kept saying, stand firm and hold fast. And I said that in the context of the word of God to us in the scripture. Paul said it in regard to, in regard to the scriptures and to the words of the apostles, which became scriptures for us, right? So Jesus encourages us to stand firm to remain faithful to him, to hold fast to our beliefs, to remain committed, to remain connected to Christ and, and uh, faithful to him uh, and to the teaching of Jesus. Um, in the beginning of 1 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians 3.8, Paul says to this young church, Paul, who is like a parent who's concerned for their kid that just went off to college for the first time, Paul says to this young church, now we can finally really live because we know you are standing firm in the Lord. He was so relieved to hear the church was being faithful, was staying close to Jesus, holding fast to their beliefs in the midst of suffering. And he said, now we can really live. We can take a breath because we know you guys are doing okay. Uh, Jesus encourages us to stand firm and hold fast to his word, come what may, and to, to hold fast to Jesus' teachings no matter what comes upon us for doing so. And just as Jesus was fully committed to God's will to the point of his death, you know, so we are called to be like Jesus and hold on to, to God to the point of our death, even if that should come, um, to remain faithful to God. And we're doing something, we're not being asked to do something that our brother, Jesus, has not done for us first, you know, before we did it. Um, so Jesus says, hold fast and stand firm. Just rally in yourselves the commitment of Jesus, the radical commitment to God's will. Who in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweat drops of blood. He was in shock, thinking about the death that was coming his way. He said, Father, if it's your will, if it, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But if not, your will be done. That was his commitment. And it's what he's called us to as well. Many situations in our lives, we're going to be called to, called to, you know, not to the point of death, but to the point of maybe some difficulty to remain faithful to Jesus and Jesus' very spirit lives within every Christian, and he can fortify you with the same kind of resolve that Christ had. 
the second to last thing I've, I've pulled out of our, uh, of our study in Thessalonians. Christians are loved by Jesus. They just, they are. Christians are loved by Jesus. You are loved by God. The Bible says that God loves the whole world, but to the people that are following Jesus and are his children have, have, have taken on the, the, the name of Christian and are following God. God loves his kids, and he offers them eternal comfort and good hope. That's a quote from the passage. And Jesus at any time, when called upon, can encourage and strengthen us in every good deed and word that we would set out to do. And again, this is a present activity of Christ in our lives by his Holy Spirit today, not just for our future salvation, but today. You know, Jesus is not someone who will just come at the end to make things right, but there's a present reality and expectation we can have of Jesus in the here and now to encourage us, to offer us eternal comfort and a good hope, to strengthen us in every good deed and word by his Spirit. In other words, and, and this is all a gift of grace, in other words, the cross is the reason we can expect this of, of God, not our performance. The cross of Christ. The cross of Christ where Jesus died on the cross and disarmed the powers of the enemy and triumphed over sin and death, it works its way from 2,000 years ago into your present life as you pray and seek God. Uh, Jesus will do this. In, in, the, in the current life that we live, you know, this could look, at, look like fortifying a person with, with peace and comfort, with hope in any situation, with strength in every difficult thing they need to do. It can also manifest in the, the effects of the future kingdom of God, uh, where everything is made right in every way. Shalom, peace, working its way into our lives backwards from the future to the present, to the cross of Christ, the future kingdom, colliding in our lives. And sometimes we pray for healing, and physical healing happens. Sometimes we pray for people to be released from demonic oppression, and release happens. You know, the, the effects of the kingdom of God are resounding in the church, and they are to be expected and sought after because God has given us a provision in Christ. The final thing I pulled from our passage today before we go into our meeting is that Christians are to be imitators of Jesus Christ in his faithfulness, his dedication, his righteousness, and they should spread the word of the Lord Jesus and the good news of his salvation and victory over sin and death far and wide, wherever possible. We're called to be imitators of Jesus Christ. So that means get into the book and see what Jesus was like and pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you as it filled the church in the, in the book of Acts and ask God that Jesus' life would be lived through you through the unique uh, prism that your life is, the unique stained glass that your life is has to cast light into the world as Jesus did. So, you know, as Galatians 2.20 says, we are to consider ourselves to be crucified with Christ, thinking we are no longer living our life, but Christ is living his life in us. In the life that we continue to live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. So we who, who did not formerly live by faith in our previous lives are called to consider ourselves to have been crucified with Christ and to be raised to a new life where Christ can live his unique, uh, a unique expression of who he is through our lives to the people around us. So we have seen Jesus' Jesus's historic victory over sin and death and his resurrection in history 2,000 years ago. And we are to die 
to the inhuman way of being that we were living before Jesus came in order to become fully alive, fully human as God originally intended before sin entered the world by considering ourselves to be dead to sin, alive in Christ, and asking him to cultivate his life within our life. And uh, in this new life, we are called from this letter from, from God himself to imitate the Lord's faithfulness to God, to be devoted to carrying out God's will for our lives. Jesus' mission was to die on the cross. Our mission is to take up our cross and follow him. Uh, and how will that look for your life? I don't know. We're called to imitate Christ's faithfulness to God, to his will in our lives, to his will in the world, to imitate his righteousness, his allegiance to God, and to share the good news of salvation and provision through the cross of Christ, the victory declared by the cross with anyone who will listen. And anyone, anyone who you share this message with, you have to understand that the Holy Spirit's working in them as well. And um, that, that's one of the things that we learn about Jesus is that we look at Luke 15, all the parables of the lost son, the lost coin, uh, the lost sheep, that it is God who is searching for people harder and more, with more devotion than you could ever do it. So when you share the good news with people, realize God is working as well and share the good news uh, with abandon. So I've truly loved, you know, going through this series of First and Second Thessalonians. I'm looking forward to going to, into the next thing God has for us. But I feel like this is something I'm going to be coming back to. This week I read through the, through the two books again. And just hearing God's word to these people, I think it's connected so much with us and our church and our present circumstance. And really, in the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. From our present reality to our future hope, that's future hope. And this hope in Jesus is sure for everyone that puts their faith in God. It's available to everyone. It's based on the cross, not in your performance. It's to be taken hold of, to be lived into and leaned into, um, not earned in any way. It's all by the grace of God. So you are, you are holy and dearly loved. You are called saints. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And let us love one another and make his love complete in us. For no one has seen God, but if we love one another, not only will we see God in our devotion to this community, but our devotion to loving the world in Jesus' name, they will see him too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I do pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would fill every believer here. You said in your word, be filled with the Spirit, continually filled with the Spirit. And we are leaky vessels, God. We need, we need more of you in our lives. I pray that we would seek after you and find you, that we would fortify our lives with the life of Christ, and that we'd allow you to live your life through us for the world in full hope of all that you will accomplish and all you have accomplished. I pray for every person that needs a provision of endurance, of hope, of love, of faithfulness, of holding fast. Whoever needs a provision this morning, I pray that you would give them a superabundance of grace today, that we'd learn to rely on you not just for our future salvation, but for our present reality, which is often troubling and difficult, as it was for Christ. So God, we look to you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for making a way for us, a stream in the desert, a path in the wilderness. We thank you, Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.